the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we are back to the conversation. Bishop Bob Jackson with us today in studio from Axeville Gospel Church in Oakland. By the way, if you love what you're hearing tonight, um, I want to encourage you. If you're new to the Bay Area, maybe you're looking for a new church home, you're looking for a vibrant place to get plugged into that doesn't just talk about the Word but lives the Word, does the Word, you want to check out Axeville Gospel Church. You can get details on the web at axevillegospel.org. That's axevillegospel.org. Senior pastor and founder, Bishop Bob Jackson, is with us today in studio. We're talking about, in every respect— the church going out and engaging or infiltrating the culture, and I think all of us can agree, there's frustration right now in this country economically, as we have discussed, the cost of living, the cost of housing. Politically, there's frustration. There's fear of wars and rumors of wars and nuclear war. Uh, these are some perilous times in which we live. Then we can get frustrated by seeing what's going on in entertainment world and in Hollywood and Sacramento and Washington, D.C., and just shake our fist and say, God, you need to do something. And God, I think, looks back down at us and says, Church, I have equipped you with the greatest tool I can possibly give you, my Holy Spirit, so that you can and should do something and to take the power of my Holy Spirit and go out and infiltrate Hollywood and Washington and the arts and education and entertainment and claim that territory back for me so the church moves from being just a well-oiled organization to being a highly impactful organism. I say, wow, that, that sounds highfalutin and very complicated. So what, what does that look like from a practical standpoint? I mean, do I, I got to go back to some big church growth seminar for six weeks to learn how to do this? No. Uh, in fact, uh, right now I'm going to ask Bishop Bob Jackson to share a story that he shared with me a few weeks ago that I think will ideally illustrate in a fashion, in a practical way, how this infiltrating can change the world around us. So so every Sunday morning I have a certain way to get go to church, and I usually go an hour before service because that's where I do my my meditations and changing, and I'll get ready for service at 8, at eight o'clock in the morning. Well, there's a corner that, that I have to come across that, that has drug dealers on it. And so for a long time, like I said, I used to come by there, and I would curse the drug dealers. They're out here running the property values down on You heard me say it. And I would be just cursing them, talking about them, standing out there, really describing what I see, you know, just talking about them. And so finally, after I, I got into seeing that the Lord, that was not his way. And according to Galatians, God wanted us to bless the people as opposed to cursing them. And so I, I had to change my paradigm. And so I, I ended up driving up there and uh, with my driver, and I'm, I'm, I'm there. So when, when I drove up to the corner, I rolled my window down. They came over and thought I, I wanted to buy some dope. So <laughs> I said, wait a minute, guys. I don't want to buy any dope. I just want to tell you that, that I love you, the Lord Jesus love you, and I'm praying for you, that God would bless you, you know, and you guys out on this corner, and that, you know, it, it, this would be a wonderful day for you. 
And so finally, they at first they were kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, get out of here. But I kept doing it. And every Sunday, I would come by there, four guys standing on that corner, and I would see them every Sunday. So finally, I had my driver just pull over, and I got out of the car. And now they're really looking, but now they're familiar with me, and I begin to share with them that God loved them, and I begin to bless them. I begin to tell them what great men they were and how wonderful they are and how faithful they are to this corner because every Sunday morning when I come to church, you guys are out here 7 o'clock in the morning. You know, you're doing your business. you 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 got to be great guys because you're consistent, you're committed, you're faithful. You have all the ingredients, you know, to become great guys in this world. And I believe God want to bless you with jobs and whatnot to take care of your families and that places to live. And so they, they, they started listening to me. And I said, I just want to let you know that, that, that I love you, man, and I'm concerned about you. I don't want to see you die out here in the street. I don't want to see, you know, you're in jail and things like that because I want to see you with a good job, making good money, you know, decent money, and, and just living a good life like God intended for you to do. And then I said, and can I pray for any of your needs do you have any needs? So they begin to tell me, yeah, well, we need this. We need a place to stay. We need, you know. And I begin to play, pray my driver and I, we, we held hands with them, made a circle on that corner, and we begin to pray for their needs. And uh, and after we prayed for the needs, we prayed to send us prayer with them. Wow. They accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, they were happy. We were happy. We hugged them and everything. They hugged us. We got back in the car and drove off. And one of them hollered out, don't be surprised, Bishop, if you see us coming in the church. I said, man, that would be a happy day. I'm looking forward to you guys coming. We came back the following Sunday, coming to church like we always do. Corner was empty. There was Mm. nobody on the corner. Now, Craig, this corner had been occupied by these guys I'm telling you, for years look like on this corner. It was totally empty. We came the next week, totally empty. We came the next week, totally empty. We came the following week, a month later, there was eight more guys out there on that corner had taken that corner over because it was a drugstore. And I started all over again. I started waving to them. They're looking at me like, this guy waving at Who's this guy? Crazy. I rolled the window down. They're like, they thought they had a sale going on. I'm like, no, guys, I just want to bless you today. And they, oh, man, this guy don't want to buy any drugs. He's talking. He must be a preacher. And they walked away. And so I saw, but I never, I haven't seen the four guys that were there before. I don't know what happened, Greg. So you imagine if you had approached that with, guys, get out of here. You're ruining the neighborhood. You're going to hurt kids, scare off women. This is a terrible thing you're doing. You need to go get right with God. Speaking cursing. Probably would have been shot. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Or at least take out worse. all four tires. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But instead you spoke a blessing. Yes. And, and when God you look use at that. Yeah, and when you look at Luke chapter ten, the Lord Jesus rolls that out. Now he sent the nine out in Luke nine and the and I mean the twelve out in Luke nine. And the Bible says that they didn't have such good success as the, when he sent the the other out, okay? When he sent the seventy. Okay, first he sent twelve, and that's Luke nine, and then in Luke ten he sends seventy. So he had a total of eighty-two disciples that he was operating with with the ecclesia. Watch what he did. He sent the ten, the the seventy out. In the fifth verse, he says, "I want you to pronounce a blessing. Say peace be unto them. Say peace be unto them. What does? Why do you think people use drugs and alcohol 
and 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 now weed. Why do you think they, they use have those no peace? Because they have no peace. So when you pronounce a blessing of peace upon their lives, and that's what the Lord Jesus told us to do. Then when you look at the eight eighth and ninth verse, he talks about whatever's set before you to eat that, asking no questions about it, kind of thing. And then he says, pray for their needs. Okay, right there in verses eight and nine is the four principles of prayer evangelism: blessing them and then fellowshipping with them and then praying for their needs and then introducing, telling the kingdom of God has come to you and now you have an opportunity to enter God's kingdom through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, they, they are easy to win to the Lord. I'm using that paradigm and I tell you, it is working so great. And another thing, Craig, I guess I got other things to say, but it makes you happy. It, it gives you joy when you're able to Bless people. It gives you joy. Something happens on the inside of you. I tell you, I've coined a new phrase, happy glad. I've been happy glad ever since I started blessing people instead of cursing them. I've been happy glad. And then praying, fellowshipping with them, shaking their hands. They look at me. It's amazing. It it, it keeps that process moving forward. Yeah. It transforms. It's transforming. Absolutely. It's transforming. As, yes. as, as you bless, you are being blessed. And as you continue to bless, you continue to be blessed. It's cyclic. And it's a cycle. Absolutely. And, and, and it absolutely makes logical sense. We see it demonstrated in the micro and the macro throughout the New Testament. And, and certainly at the end of the day, I mean, again, stepping back big picture, if, if we think about the opportunity where God has called upon us to go out into the world mm-hmm. and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, yes, that certainly means the proclamation of his word. But the way in which God's word and love, the ultimate message of his love for us, can be pro- proclaimed can also touch so many other areas. Again, as we said before, Jesus showed his concern for everybody from the woman at the well to the blind man, always demonstrating God's love. And in doing so, then, they were open to hear and receive the message. Well, who is this man? Exactly. Now, now let, me, let, me, let, me, let me challenge the audience about something, if I could. Please. Could you ask your audience, and I know they're faithful listeners, every, they're driving home, they're in traffic, a lot of them and whatnot, and they turn on to your broadcast. How many of them, just want to ask this question, how many of you listening right now would really, really desire to be blessed by Almighty God? How many of you listening right now? How many of you right now would just love to have a blessing right now in your life? I guarantee you everyone that's listening would love to have a blessing in their lives. And just like Acts, hands all over the building raised. I want a blessing. How many people would want a blessing right now? Well, in order to receive a blessing, I mean, in order for you to receive a blessing, you have to be a blessing. So why don't I challenge all of the audience today to begin to bless people instead of cursing them? Begin to bless them. Not on the website, you know, the website a lot of times there's a lot of negative stuff with Christians, a lot of gossip, backbiting, a lot of stuff. Why not start blessing people and make it up in your mind? First of all, I'm going to bless the Lord, as David said, with all my soul. I'm going to bless the Lord, okay? And then I'm going to bless people who's made in the image of God. I'm going to bless people. I guarantee you. Attitudes would change. The joy of the Lord would flood the souls. I guarantee you the people of God would be so blessed because we are not 
blessing the people in this world. And yet, we are blessed by God, but we are not blessed to be a blessing. And so often the evidence of that is, and I spoke to a group last night, and I made the observation that it is easy if you take a survey of the average non-believer as to uh, the attitudes of Christians, and they'll say, oh, that's fine. I know exactly what that looks like. You Christians are against this. You're against that. And they come out with this big laundry list of everything the church is against. Now when you flip it and say, okay, fair enough, can you now tell me what we as the church are for? Dead silence. Absolutely. See, if we start to get the Sorry. reputation that we're for people to be happy, come on, folks to have roofs over their head, yes. to be healed from cancer and sickness and disease and restored from marital problems and have relationships brought back together again and estranged husbands and wives back together again, mm. children that are the prodigal kids come back into the fold again, Thank you, Jesus. And, and to be able to see every aspect of life touched and healed in the name of God, for the glory of God, the difference of the impact of that infiltration of the love of Jesus Christ in society and culture around us will begin to address all of the things, all of the ills that we get so frustrated with, so angry about, and we get mad at the politicians, or we think voting for the politicians are going to fix it. Then when that don't happen, we get mad at them, and the vicious cycle just continues and continues. And at the end of the day, God is asking us to be blessed, and to be blessed is the act of blessing others. And as we bless others and we begin to infiltrate the culture, then God can begin working on the hearts of the people that we share the love with. We, when we can say to them, Christ loves you and demonstrate in some small fashion. Now, maybe your church is not going to go out and create a building and provide low-income housing for people that need it. Maybe your church could. Maybe your church is going to gather a bunch of people together on a Saturday and say, you know, four blocks down from our church, there's that widow's house, and paint's peeling off the side, and the lawn is unkept, and we've heard that she's there all alone, and we wonder, how come somebody don't do nothing about that? Imagine what would happen if the church showed up on a Saturday morning with a bunch of young people and knocked on the door and said, Mrs. Smith, we're here to be a blessing. And we got a team here, and with your permission, we're going to mow your lawn, we're going to power wash your house, and we're going to paint your house. Imagine the kind of impact that that would have on her life of demonstrating God's love. And then imagine those around the neighborhood saying, well, good, Mrs. Smith's house looks so beautiful. What happened? A whole bunch of the people from the church came by and blessed her. Not wow. the church. <laughs> wow, the church Not did church, that? church, folks. <laughs> <laughs> the difference that we could make in the Lord community Jesus. around us, yes. in the marketplace around us, yes. will be phenomenal. I just believe that with all my heart. And imagine the jobs and what job, what boss, what company wouldn't benefit by people from the church who work at that factory or that job, blessing the people that work there, fellowshipping with them, praying for their needs. I guarantee you, the churches would begin to grow again, leaps and bounds, if we would just begin to bless the people in the marketplace, in the, you know, in the malls, wherever we are. You have an opportunity to talk to people, and this is something I'm finding interesting, Craig. Almost everybody I talk to, before I have three or four words with them in conversation, they start telling me about their problem. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, come on. They start to, problems so bad that they, they can't even contain themselves in talking with even a total stranger. They start telling you about, man, I'm having problems with my wife. Man, I'm having problems with my community. My money's, I, I'm just, I'm having problems. So when you say, listen, can I pray for your needs? I talked to a lady today that uh, lost her husband recently. He just, he died it, uh, suddenly. I mean, he wasn't even sick. He just died suddenly, and I was talking to her today, and I prayed. And, and I, I don't know if she's a Christian or not. I just heard about it, and, she, and I, you know, anyway, that was, that's a long another story. But, but I called her today just to, just to comfort her, and then as I was sharing with her and she was sharing me, I know her husband. I had interacted with him just recently to do some things together. And before I got off the phone, I said, ma'am, would you mind me uh, praying for you? She said, no, no, I wouldn't mind at all. And I began to pray that the Lord would comfort her because he's the God of all comfort. I began to pray for her needs, that God would bless her with wisdom on how to conduct the, the funeral, how to put together all of that, because that was weighing on her so heavenly, I mean heavily. I, I just began to pray for her and pray for her needs. And the greatest blessing in what I did, blessing her and praying for her needs, she told me at the end, she says, Thank you so much," she said. "I really needed that. Oh my God, that's worth that's worth more than money. Uh, imagine the next time you walk into the restaurant or the cafe, and the waitress seems to be foul mood. And you've had to ask for hot coffee three or four times. You brought your pancakes out, and they were cold. And she's just curt and rude. And you're thinking to yourself, "Boy, I want to get up out of this place, and we're not even going to leave a penny for a tip. What a horrible waitress! What a terrible attitude!" Imagine if you stop for a minute and just say to the waitress, hey, excuse me, can I ask you a question? Um, I'm a Christian, and we're praying people here at this table. Anything we can pray for you about? Anything at all? I guarantee you. Watch the attitude. You'll probably, probably burst into tears. Watch that woman then start to tell you how she got up that morning and found out that her daughter never came home that night or the husband's running around or uh, got an eviction notice and she's there at work. All of these troubles are weighing upon her mind. And that simple opening, that simple act. Yes. So people say, well, I'm afraid. Oh, give them my testimony and I got to get out the four spiritual laws and we must build bright to explain it. I don't know how to do it. We get this thing so complicated that we decide it's so big and so beyond our ability that we don't do it at all, when in fact this prayer evangelism that you're talking about is so simple that absolutely anybody can do it. Anybody. And the opportunity you could have to be a blessing and to demonstrate God's love, you could see the heart of that waitress absolutely begin to melt. And the tears come and she starts to tell you what's going on in her life. You've become a blessing. So now, you know, maybe you can come to our church. We're going to be praying for you. The door that now has opened as you've taken the church and infiltrated that woman's life with a prayer blessing. Imagine if Christians would suddenly become sensitive to this, the way in which we could change our community and our neighborhoods. Now, instead of coming home and saying, that doggone neighbor's always parking in front of my house. He's always blocking my driveway. I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to turn the garden hose on his dog, whatever. <laughs> if you went next door, maybe brought you, you picked up some goodies at Costco and went next door and just said, you know, I was grocery shopping and I picked up two of these things and I just thought I wanted to bless you and your family. 
and introduce myself. I'm your neighbor next door. Hey, by the way, I go to church and we love to pray. Anything we can pray for you about? And watch what might happen with that nasty, mean, difficult neighbor. Yes. And suddenly you begin to find that God has opened a door for you to demonstrate his love, infiltrate that person's life with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and before you know it, your next-door neighbor, the enemy, has now, over time, through the influence of the Holy Spirit, become your brother or sister in Christ. And next thing you know, they want to go to your church. They want to follow you to the church. This is not as difficult as we make it out to be, is it? It certainly isn't. But, but you know, and I hate to be redundant, but we, we've taken the church and we've, we've set up a different paradigm than what the Lord rolled out in the Word of God. We've made that a little kingdom. We made that some little exclusive club. And that's why people think that the church is a, a, a club, you know, of snooty people. It's you either know. the place we go to or the thing we do as opposed to that which we are. Exactly. And that's not the paradigm that the Lord Jesus set for the church. And that's why he, he told his disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. When you look at Paul and you, you study Paul and his life, the missionary journeys, he went everywhere setting up churches. And, and that was his whole you know, demeanor is to begin to win souls all over. The, but he was taking nations. He was taking nations. I mean, the gospel, they said, the guys that are turning the world upside down, they come here too. They were turning the world upside down. That was the ecclesia that was moving across the face of the earth. But today, the ecclesia just moves in a building, four walls with a cross on it, and that's about the extent of it. So I believe that in these last and evil days, the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, it's time for us to be about our Father's business, come out of those silos, come out of those four walls, Mm -hmm. come out of that building with the church, you know, that, 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 that place that we love to go to and have a great time and get out into the highways and hedges and begin to bless the people of the world, begin to bless them, begin to fellowship with them, begin to pray for their needs and begin to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. I guarantee you, if we follow that paradigm coming out of Luke chapter 10, I guarantee you we can do as the apostles did in years gone by, turn the world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. If we demonstrate a vibrant, active, powerful, loving, engaged, infiltrating bride of Christ. Yes, sir. People will be compelled to come in because they will see what's going on amongst us. They will know we are believers by the love that we demonstrate, and therefore they will be compelled. Most people right now, quite frankly, folks, and listen, Bay Area, 4% church attendance. And the bigger shocker is that's not just evangelicals. That's anybody that goes to any kind of a church at all. 4% is the lowest per capita church attendance of anywhere in the entire country is right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, my. That's alarming. That's alarming. You think about church on Sunday, and I'm not putting churches down, Mm. but you think the average lost person out there, would they be compelled to come in? Maybe we need to start being compelled to go out and to infiltrate and to be a blessing, to stop speaking curses and instead be a blessing. And as we do so, see if we cannot see the entire world around us changed. We're still promised in Scripture the last 
great harvest. And I believe it hasn't happened yet. And I believe it hasn't happened yet because God has been waiting on us to go out and to be that blessing, to give that blessing, and to infiltrate the world around us for the glory of his kingdom. Not for the little K of our own kingdom, but for the large K of his kingdom. We have just scratched the surface. I'm going to say two things to you. First, this information that Bishop Bob Jackson has shared tonight needs to be shared. It needs to be talked about at your church, your Christian men's organization. I want to encourage you when the broadcast is done tonight to get a copy of our podcast. If you go to kfax.com and look for the heavily airbrushed photograph of me from about 30 years ago, you can download that podcast or share a link. Let's get other people of like heart and like mind to start thinking this way and start engaging this way so that we can start changing society and culture around us. And then, as I mentioned before, if you've been intrigued by what you've heard Bishop Jackson share here today and you think, wow, that's the kind of church, I got to go check it out. I got to go see for myself. Um, we invite you to go to their website at axfulgospel.org. Service times on Sunday? 8 o'clock in the morning and 11.30 in the morning, two services, and then 7 p.m. in the evening, Tuesday night, Bible study, 7 p.m., and Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, we call it Holy Ghost service, Friday night at 7 p.m. as well. So we have services all during the week, but Sunday morning, 8 o'clock in the morning and 11.30 represents our morning services. And you want to experience a church that doesn't just uh, do church, but bees the church, this is an opportunity for you to do it at Axful Gospel. On the web again, axfulgospel.org. That's axfulgospel.org. We are still finalizing a date, but we're going to take this even deeper where you've got a special program planned for March that we're going to not only go deeper to what Bishop Bob Jackson has shared today, the modeling that is being done at Axeville Gospel Church, but we're going to also have folks that have been blessed and impacted and have their lives changed by prayer evangelism that will join us on the program to, to give, I think, a deeper sense of just not only how practical this is, but the kind of incredible impact that we as the church can have on the San Francisco Bay Area. Let's make this a Petri dish. Let, let's, let's use this place that has the least church attendance in the world become the place that be God, God absolutely just confounds everybody and turns out to be the hotbed where evangelism and revival takes place. I believe it can happen. But don't sit there waiting on God because God is waiting on you. Bishop Bob Jackson, as always, a delight to have you with us, brother. We'll look forward to seeing you again real soon. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. God We're going to take a time out here, and uh, let's get a look at traffic with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael, all yours. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, you know, every year during the 1st of January, so often many of us will look to resolutions We'll promise ourselves everything from trying to get more exercise, to lose weight, to perhaps uh, be more dutiful at being involved in ministry at church, spending more time with our wife, our kids, all of these things which are certain key and important to life. But when you think about the big questions about life, one of the big questions perhaps that most of us struggle at one point or another to try to gain an answer to, and that is understanding specifically what God wants 
of us, through us, and in our lives, essentially trying to understand what is His will for my life. As we enter in this new season of new beginnings here in the typical January, learning how to reach your full potential for God, certainly no stranger to the KFAX listeners. He is the host of In Touch, heard weekday afternoons at 4 p.m. here on KFAX. And pleased to have with us today, Dr. Charles Stanley. And uh, Pastor, great to have you on the program. Well, delighted to be with you, Craig. You know, we think about, again, New Year's and new beginnings and resolutions and so forth. I can't imagine any bigger question than most of us can ask ourselves. And maybe it's one that we ask not only at the beginning of, of a new year, but at certain key marks in life, be it uh, when we get married, when we retire, when we find a new job, when we perhaps are going to become a parent. And that is struggling to answer this question, learn more about what God wants of us and how to fully reach our potential for God. Well, what he wants above everything else in our life is a personal, intimate relationship with himself. Everything else he can do. But that is something we have to yield to with him. And when you think about all the ways that he works in our life, ultimately, that's his will. And so he's willing, because that's his purpose and his will, he's willing to do whatever is necessary in our life, to enable us to develop that relationship. And when that relationship is right, everything else is going to get right because the truth is every aspect of our life flows out of and is influenced and impacted by a personal relationship with him. So when somebody says, well, I don't know the will of God for my life, you can know because if he has a will, he certainly isn't going to keep it a secret. He's willing to show us if we're willing to submit ourselves. And I think a lot of people want to know the will of God in order to consider it not to do it, and God doesn't play those kind of games. You know, and it's interesting, I think about uh, so many of us that as we came to Christ, if uh, perhaps a friend or a loved one uh, shared the gospel message with us, so one of the, the four key steps to salvation, understanding that God has a plan for our life, and of course, that goes beyond simply the relationship and coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and walking in fellowship with Him, but then ultimately into what it is that He wants to do in us and through us, and I found it interesting. In some of your opening remarks to this Thomas Nelson book, Reach Your Full Potential for God, Never Settle for Less Than His Best, you talk about the fact that God impressed upon your heart that to understand fully what God wants to do in us and through us, you have to approach this at the get-go with a clean heart, a clear mind, and a balanced schedule. I have to tell you, those three items alone caught my attention. Well, that's the way it is. And I woke up one morning about three o'clock and out of a dead sleep, and it's like the Lord said, do you want to reach your full potential for your life? And I said, well, sure. And so I thought I didn't know what was going on, but I pulled out a pad and a pen I keep by my bed. And so as I began to just be quiet and listen, the Lord just laid out all seven of those points uh, to me very clearly. And when you think about it, I, I, I thought, well, now, am I sure this is of God? And I looked at him again and again, and I thought, yes, because this is the way he thinks. First of all, a clean heart and a clear mind. In other words, and a balanced schedule, that is, that he has the proper time that he needs to work in our life. And if my, if my, heart's, not, if my heart's not clean, my mind is not going to really be clear. And I'm not going to operate in my life on his schedule. And when we're not operating on his schedule, we can't do our best and we won't do our best. So, so much of this really reaching our full potential 
in the Lord, whatever that might be. And certainly it, it's different for all of us. God gives and grants to each and every one of us different skills, talents, abilities, and, and goals. But in order to fully reach that, we really have to be walking in uh, the fullness of his fellowship then, don't we? This needs to be an intimate kind of relationship with the Lord that can't be something that's just sort of approached casually. Absolutely. And this is why I said in the very beginning, our personal intimate relationship with him impacts everything. When that's right, I'm, I'm going to have a clear mind about his will for my life. I'm going to understand his schedule for my life. I'm going to have right relationships. I'm going to be willing to take risks for him. And things will fall in place. And it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy, but it means that no matter what I face, I'm going to come through it. I'm going to come through it successfully because in order to do that, you've got to submit yourself to the will of God. And submitting yourself to the will of God isn't always easy, because I think a lot of people are afraid to do that. They think, well, I want to do the will of God, but suppose he asks me to do this, or suppose he asks me to do that. Because he's a God of love, he's only going to require us what is best for us. And my unwillingness to do what he says is because I don't trust him to love me enough to just choose the best. I would imagine in your many, many years in pulpit ministry and as pastor, uh, this question has been brought before you time and time again, this question. Well, pastor, I just don't understand what is God's will for my life. And I would suspect then that part of this answer for a lot of people that struggle with that is the notion that they're fearful. Well, gee, you know, if I really pursue God, what if God asked me to become a missionary on the foreign mission field or or do something that I don't really feel cut out to do? Does God do things like that? I mean, is he is he of the character that he's going to surprise us and, and call us to do something that we're neither inclined to do or even equipped to do? There are some things he's going to do that's going to surprise us, all right, but they're coming from the perspective that, that God's motivation is judgment and punishment and testing me and trying me when God's motivation is love. Now, if he wants to send somebody to the mission field, that isn't God doing something bad for them. That's God giving them an opportunity, but it always goes back to what is my attitude toward God. In other words, do I see him as a heavenly father who loves me, who has saved me, who wants to show me his will, provide my needs, test me, try me, yes, but all of that to grow me up and become the person he wants me to be. And those periods of testing and trial are for our good. And it's interesting. I've always thought the passage of Scripture where we're reminded that God will give us the desires of our heart, but in another passage that we are encouraged to keep our mind and our heart focused on Him. And so if we put Him first in life... And he is the central, he is uh, our, our heart's desire, so to speak, uh, that as he comes to fulfill those desires in the end, this will be something that will not only give glory to his name, but also much delight to us. And I guess in the end, when we talk about determining what he wants for us and discovering and reaching our full potential for him, uh, in the end becomes not only a delight for the Lord, but a delight unto us as well. And when he says, if we delight ourselves in him, I think most folks don't realize that he must be central in our life, that if I'm delighting myself in him, then my decisions are going to be based always on this. What's pleasing to God? What is his will in this situation? What would he have me to do? Not what do I want to do and then want to make him fit my plan. But what do you say then, Pastor, to the person who says, but Pastor Stanley, you don't understand. 
I'm so average. I'm plain. There's nothing really special about me. I, I don't have the ability of, of of great oratory skills to get on the radio or up in the pulpit and proclaim the word of God. I, I don't have a degree in anything. I'm I'm just kind of an average Joe. Um, how could God ever possibly use me? I think many people have asked that question. Probably everybody who's ever accomplished anything has asked that at some point. But the issue is not. Uh, comparing ourselves with others, we think about what we have and don't have, and we're comparing ourselves with others. The question is, what has God given me, and what is God able to do with what he has given me? And the truth is, we would say, well, God is, does the impossible, but many people have problems with this because they have a poor self-image, uh, they have uh, a poor uh, image of what they're capable of doing, they have lots of fear, that they're afraid fail, they fail what people are going to say, a criticism. And so a lot of that negative thinking is the result of their attitudes that have no real scriptural basis whatsoever. God wants the best, will provide the best. All he's looking for is submission to his will and let him decide what he wants to do with us. And you know, so much of this comes back down to, I think, one of the central points when we talked earlier about a clean heart, clear mind, and a balanced schedule. That that word balance is so key to this. Uh, speaking to uh, Jim Dobson uh, on the occasion of his retirement from full-time ministry and looking back over the course of 30 years of ministry with focus on the family and, of course, the big question, could you ever have imagined in the 1970s when you began with one little radio station down in Southern California that this ministry would ever grow to the level and potential that it has to become now this international outreach. And of course, the response, if I had known what this would have grown to, I would have been scared to death and too afraid to start it. I think sometimes we need to realize that it's good if we have a sense that we aren't fully capable, that we can't do it in and all of ourselves, because if we felt otherwise, then there would be in many levels no sense or no need for God. Absolutely. And I think the spirit the spirit of, of inadequacy that is based on a true, genuine understanding of who God is and His holiness is always healthy. And once we step out of line with that sense of personal inadequacy, uh, pride, arrogance, and everything else gets in the way, and we're not going to be able to be used by God. He's not going to use arrogance. Dr. Charles Stanley, my guest on this edition of Lifeline, Reach Your Full Potential for God, Never Settle for Less Than His Best, published by Thomas Nelson. We'll take a brief time out when we come back, learning how to move beyond the settled-for life, as our conversation with Dr. Charles Stanley continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to Lifeline, our conversation with Pastor Charles Stanley, host of In Touch Ministries. Of course, the program comes your way each weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. here on KFAX. And more information on the web at intouch.org. And it's interesting, Pastor Stanley, I think for so many of us, as we go through certain high water marks in life, and this might be times of uh, perhaps a marriage or a divorce or death of a spouse, a loss of a job or retiring or even becoming a new parent. Uh, these times and occasions when we struggle with the question of what does God want from us? What does he want of us? How can we reach our full potential? And then sometimes I think, unfortunately, we get we get discouraged, we get bogged down by the challenges and obstacles of life, and we end up settling for less than his very best. How can we how can we move past that settled for kind of life? What we have to do, one of the first things is this, and that is to recognize who we are from God's perspective. We are one of his children, created in his image 
to bring him glory and honor. And he's promised that he will be with us, enable us, encourage us, provide for us, no matter what, in every circumstance. And when I think about how many people can quote Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who call to go into his purpose, oftentimes people will quote that, but they don't believe it about themselves. Mm. And they are willing to settle for far less because for a number of reasons. Sometimes, as we said, they're fear of failure. Sometimes they're just lazy. They're not willing to pay the price. They're not willing to submit themselves to the Lord's way and his will in their life. And so they settle for less than that. Then they become very angry oftentimes or very discouraged and, and always want to blame it on somebody else. We have to take responsibility for our life and recognize that God is very involved in our life and that whatever our needs are, he will supply if we submit to his will and do it his way. I would imagine one of the big um, big obstacles to achieving that sense of, of full potential and enjoying that, that inner drive and that enthusiasm for life and, and what you do in and through the Lord is the roadblock of being unwilling to surrender fully to Him, would you think? Absolutely. I do believe that that is the major issue and that one willingness to surrender is either selfishness from our part, we want our way, or fear of what God may require of us. And oftentimes, people will head in that direction and then just begin to doubt. And they give up and just say, well, I can't do it, or who am I, as we said a few moments ago, what can I do, what has God done for me? And every person has gifts, every person has talents and abilities. Some people are willing to employ them and take the risk of failure or criticism and some people are just not willing to do it. We talked a moment ago about some of those important life junctures, uh, and I think perhaps there are some of those high watermark points in life when it's it's always healthy to um, sort of take account of where we're at, not only in our relationship with Christ, our relationship with our children, our spouse, and to make sure that we're indeed on track for for the plan that He has for us. You know, we're told in Scripture that that He's begun a good work in us, that He will complete that through our days. But I I think it's important, perhaps, as we hit some of those important timelines in life, whether we're we're beginning out in a new marriage, maybe we've just gone through a pain of divorce through no fault of our own, and now we're struggling with that. Maybe we've lost a spouse. Is it important, Pastor Stanley, at those moments to sit down and kind of take a fresh account of not only where we're at in our relationship with him, but also to not only make sure we're on track for what he wants for us and wants to do through us, but also maybe to ask the question, maybe God wants to take us in a, a different direction with new goals at those junctures? I think you're absolutely correct. And because there are situations and circumstances where we have to make changes. We have to make changes about the way we think, changes about our schedule, changes, for example, about our, our, what we think is His will and purpose and plan for our life. And those times are very, very important because so often a person's life takes a turn uh, for the good, or maybe not for the good, as a result of maybe just ignoring the seriousness of the situation and leaving God out, making decisions on the basis of what seems to be right or wrong or what's the easiest way out. Very important, not only in critical junctures like that, but the truth is every day when we awaken in the morning, we ought to be saying, Now, Lord, show me your will for my life today. Make me sensitive about the people I meet. Help me to be perceptive about the things that are going on around me and show me your will for this day step by step and when we're willing to do that he's there 
He's there to enable us, no matter what we're going through. And then finally, I'm wondering, Pastor Stanley, about measurement of performance. You know, uh, many of us in the workplace, uh, we will have a semi-annual or annual meetings with our immediate supervisor who will take a look at things like uh, our attendance record, how we interact with fellow employees, deal with customers and clients and things of this sort, and then help evaluate us. And we'll note the areas where we are excelling or or achieving our goals and outstanding performance, uh, areas where maybe we're just satisfactory, other areas where perhaps our performance is unsatisfactory. How do we go about ascertaining whether or not we're really hitting the mark when it comes to serving God and achieving the goals and plans that He has for our life? I think so often many of us will try to compare where we're at against other people and say, well, gee, you know, I'm, I'm just a pastor of a small church and I only have 75 members in my congregation, so God must be dissatisfied with me because, gee, the pastor up the block has got 800 members. How do we go about ascertaining whether or not we're actually on track for what God's will is for our life. First of all, is my heart clean? Am I thinking scripturally? Am I thinking clearly? What about my schedule? What, how am I spending my time? And Am I using it uh, wisely or am I wasting time? What about my relationships? How very important they are in my life. And as a person goes down each one of these, uh, it gives them a time to think through where they are in life. And I think this has to happen many, many times in life, not just at the critical junctures, but I can think in my own life, oftentimes, right before God has uh, given me some instruction about something uh, that, to make a change, that's, I, I would have this feeling, I just need to give some time to the Lord and get in His Word and be quiet and mm-hmm. say, Lord, I want you to examine my heart. I want you to show me if there's some area here that you want to change. And if there is an area of change, and most of the time there is something going on, then he's going to show us what it is, and he's not going to show us judgmentally, but he's going to show us to encourage us and to remind us that the change that needs to take place, he will enable us to do it. In that way, we keep progressing in life no matter what. And it it strikes me that it takes us back full circle to one of those key points that you talked about in the beginning of our conversation, Uh, this sense of a clean heart, a clean mind, a balanced schedule, and the willingness to surrender. You know, sometimes we'll go before the Lord at one of these critical junctures or just when it's time to to sort of refresh and renew and, and check in with God, so to speak, to make sure that we're on track. The willingness to say, Lord, I'm going to surrender to you, and I'm going to seek your face and your answers for where I'm headed next, and I might have some thoughts and desires in my own heart to understand that I need to surrender even that, and sometimes if we if we say before the Lord, gee, God, will you do this for me or take me in this direction, that if God gives you a no answer, that that's still an answer. That's exactly right, <laughs> because his no answers are answers for our protection and for our guidance, and for our good. Those are not always bad. Again, reach your full potential for God, never settle for less than his best, by Thomas Nelson, and the book, again, available at bookstores. In touch with Pastor Charles Stanley each weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. here on KFAX, and more information about both the book and Pastor Stanley's ministry on the web at intouch.org. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.